Revenge of the Aces Kids has been rated P for podcast. with a mysterious renegade known as Michael Bay, or some of you might know him, Skeletor. Together they have enough power to destroy the childhood memories of the Aethys kids with their vapid, empty, explosion-filled movie versions of our adventures that are nothing but a cynical toy commercial. We have but one hope, and that is to unite with our brothers-in-arms and stand as one franchise against this money-making horde. So... Available now in all good toy shops is He-Man with unique battle armor configuration with rocket-powered battle cat, only 19.95. Also, the Centurions, humans with unique ability to attach or detach weapon modes from their power armor. They are available in three colors with a number of expansion battle modes. Prices start at 9.99. But that's not all. Those guys over there. They might look like gay pride Ewoks, but they are the Care Bears, available in large plush or 5-inch vinyl articulated dolls, only $25.95. Personally, I don't think a ruthless power-mad ethnic cleanser like Megatron only needs a good hug, but for peace, I'm willing to give it a try. Go Care Bears! But... It could all be for nothing, for without a base to plan our counterattacks, we could be at a tactical disadvantage. It is kids. Talk to your parents and ask them to get you an Omni Battle Complex City for Christmas. Price two hundred and ninety nine ninety five. But what price is too great to pay? For good to triumph over evil. What do you say, eighties kids? Well, he was strange. Uh, yeah. yeah, Optimus Prime, <laughs> what have you done? You've sold out! It's true what they say, never meet your heroes. I, I always thought it was over him when he got those big flame tattoos, you know, started hanging around with that film director chappy. Suddenly, you know, it was all models in bikinis and, and, and waving American flags, and it just seemed a bit off. <laughs> that had too much coke. <laughs> um, so... I think this does put me in mind, however, of 80s cartoons, uh, now the subject has come up, and I'm wondering how you guys feel about a bit of a discussion of that topic. Uh, well, obviously, we are the 80s kids, so we would, you know, 80s kids, cartoons, obviously, we'd be kept occupied by that. Um, so, yes, and I am Leo, and I am one of the 80s kids, and tonight I am joined by... I am Ian, and I am another one of the 80s kids, but I am not alone, for I am joined by... Uh, Justin, who is another 80s kid, who also is deeply familiar with cartoons of this era. So, yes. Um, and, and I think maybe possibly the best place to start, we've all got the list in front of us, or maybe some of us don't, but it doesn't really matter, because there's this formidable wall of animated goodness. If you were to pick one prize show from this uh, smorgasbord of wow. animated wonder, 
what would your pick be? Uh, I mean, we'll just do that as a sort of, just to start off. Um, and then we'll go on to discuss the other things afterwards. But uh, I'm curious to know, what did people put front and centre in their diet of animated uh, joy? Oh, tricky. Uh, let's go with Justin first. What, what well, you know, this, I mean, there's some cracking stuff here. Um, I don't know, Thundercats is probably going to be up there, I think, just because that was visually striking and the theme tune and everything else was very memorable. Although, you know, I mean, a close second to that would probably be Teenage Mutant Tip. Turtles, oh my word, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot here. But out of those, although at the time, the thing I was heavily into the merchandising was kind of He-Man and the Master of the Universe. Although I, uh, the cartoon-wise, it wasn't my favourite, but, you know. I think we'll circle back round to He-Man. Yeah. Definitely. But, uh, so Thundercats is your, yeah, I think your so. drug of choice. <laughs> Ian. Well, for me, it would have to be Transformers or, or He-Man. I, th- I think He-Man was the was it was the first one that kind of like, hey, you can use a cartoon as an advert for your toys. <laughs> um, so I have, lo- I have a lot to say about He-Man. I have a lot to say about Transformers. If we decided that He-Man is the one we're going to circle back to at the end, you know, to finish off like Skeletor, ah, I'll come back for you later. Um, <laughs> I-, I think I'll have to go Transformers. Yes, uh, I personally. I'm going to pick on Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, yes. Oh, an eclectic choice there, sir. Yes, um, it is eclectic. Um, I can't help but notice, and I think this is possibly because the people who put together the list of animated shows on uh, in the eighties on Wikipedia uh, possibly were a bit American centric. But uh, we in the UK obviously also benefited from the wonder of Ulysses Thirty One. Yep. The French so- animation uh, that had uh, the, the, the Odyssey turned into a space <laughs> opera. That was also a favourite. Also, yeah. uh, um, Dog Tanyon yeah. was also French. As oh, well. yeah. Let's also ah, not yes. forget our homegrown 80s cartoons in the form of Danger Mouse and Count yeah. Duckula. Danger Mouse was huge in its day. It was like, yeah. it got 22 million viewers at one point, I hear. So, yes. So, uh, there we go. Yes. Uh, these are the things. Oh, well, we've got... I, as it happens, the UK animations got mixed in with our UK list. So we've got things like Banana Man in there, <laughs> um, Danger Mouse, obviously, Dick Spanner PI, which was actually part of another program, um, but then got repeated as its own thing. Yes, so there's there's lots of stuff to, to keep us going. And do we count, I mean, they've put Terror Hawks here, which is a puppet show, but surely that counts more in the sort of, that sort of, not human beings doing stuff, but in fact, yeah. I think that's fine. So, so, yeah, there's, there's there's a big ground, a lot of ground to cover. So, uh, Justin, you, you've listed a few reasons. Were you you were big into your Thundercats. Did you have Thundercats toys? <laughs> no. no, I think actually, I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what the, what the time for Thundercats is. Maybe I would past the kind of toy buying stage. Ah, uh, well, they've had to market here 1985 TV series uh, because so, obviously there's a new. Anime Tastic version yeah. of Thundercats, which has been going around at the moment. Uh, so yeah, so I was probably yeah, I was probably a little bit old for maybe going to that. And I was big into He Man, so um, for toy wise anyway. So so there probably wasn't room for it. I don't know. Um, I think it just um, one. It had an amazing logo, which you know is a reason why it's kind of resurgent. You see people wandering around with t-shirts. It was a very. It kind of brought together all the th- stuff that that um, other shows had done. But, you know, it had another, it had the kind of tech and the kind of fantasy world from He-Man. It was a bit of mishmash, really. But it had, but it had this kind of, uh, kind of 
well, what, very cool, memorable characters all kind of themed on cats. So I was, you know, and, and, you know, add to that kind of magic swords and I, I was kind of, I was enthralled by it. Personally, um, although, you know, I wouldn't not watch Thundercats if it was on, I, uh, was sort of like, um, I felt it was a bit of a, I mean, obviously there were a lot of these, uh, a follow on from He-Man. I mean, a lot of these things were things that were like, oh, you can do that, can you? And so suddenly people were rushing out toy lines to go with, yeah. with Transformers and He-Man. This is a good point, which uh, I'm imagining Ian might be in the best place to, to answer this question. Which came first, Transformers or He-Man? And if neither of them came first, you know, with, with He-Man, I'm imagining that the whole point of the cartoon was to sell the toys. But the Transformers had an extra gimmick, which was that they transformed. So, you uh, know... Well, uh, He-Man was definitely first, but the, the gimmick of this toy transforms into another toy, there were others around before Transformers came along. I think, and Transformers was just kind of the definitive version because there was GoBots. Uh, before I even saw my first Transformers cartoon, I already had a watch that you could detach from the strap and the, and the actual watch itself turn into a little robot. So those things were always out there, but as soon as I saw my first, well, we'll talk about Transformers now, we'll get back to Thundercats, but as soon as I saw Transformers, I wanted those toys for Christmas. There was no doubt about it. Yeah. But for Thundercats, uh, I was at just the right age because I was still at a time where I was in junior school, so this was playground fodder, was playing Thundercats. It was yeah. one of the things you did. Um, it, you say it was set on its own fantasy world. It was, in fact, Earth, uh, as they referred to it as Third Earth, because it's presumably a right. flat out and sun. And it was kind of like post, I don't know post-apocalyptic at all, but it was like, I always got the implication it was the far, far future Earth. And yeah. humanity's kind of buggered off somewhere else into the galaxy. Um, so rather strange going to Earth at all, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's yeah, it, 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 as, as all great cartoons will start, it has this amazing title sequence that's full of movement and light and has this great music going that gets you really pumped for it, which is strange because when you get to the actual episode proper, the animation slows right down, becomes, you know, yeah. much more of your stock kind of animated, uh, you know, pumped out cartoon series there's a bit of a bit of a jump but good for them for realizing that you need a good dude thumping title sequence to get all the kids really excited for the sugar rush that's to come uh principally it involves you know lion and his fellow thundercats fleeing from their home planet of thundara as it is destroyed by the mutants and then their refugee fleet picked off there's only one ship left um and yes, their, their bald leader sacrifices himself. Everyone else goes into hibernation, but he pilots the ship to Earth and, and fades away and becomes an Obi-Wan Kenobi-like character to Lion-O. So there's a, star, there's a Star Wars reference. And also we have Mumra, who is, I suppose, the main villain. But he's actually got nothing to do with the Thundercats until the Thundercats turn up on Earth. The sort of perennial enemies of the no. Thundercats are the mutants, who seem to be not cats, but various animals like jackals and frogs. Uh, and, and things like that. And they just kind of got down to earth and they're kind of bumming around trying to get those Thundercats and kind of become the henchman of Mumra, whose motivations I can never quite recall. He's an old guy who's immortal and lives in the coffin, but he can occasionally become, you know, his more demonic form and, and start causing mayhem. Yes, and Lino has his magic sword, and yes, they're all themed after different cats. 
which I suppose is fun, but I suppose it made it difficult to think of new characters later on because you've run out of famous cats, which you've had one named after a cheetah, <laughs> and yeah, one's named after a lion. You've got you've got uh, Tigara, whatever it's called. I've got his exact name. You've got Chitara. It's like, gee, are any other big cats left? We've even done Wily <laughs> Kitten, Wily Cat. So we've even done domestics here. So what's there left for us to do? Oh, of course, <laughs> Snarf. Snarf. Yes. Uh, which, which I suppose was put in there by some executive because they thought the kids needed a cute, small, clumsy animal that could, could nurse made after Lionel. Because Lionel is a boy in a, in a man's body because he continued to yeah. grow whilst he was in cryostasis for some bizarre reason, whilst no one else did. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've witted on about what the premise of the series is quite extensively, so I can prove to you I've watched it. I know my yes. old brother's older friends were very distasteful of it, you know, watching it with their younger siblings. They thought it was awfully dubbed. You know, characters going, he's not alive, when clearly it should have just been, he's dead. But having to say yes. that long version because of the dubbing. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how... I don't, unlike like most of these series, it never had an end. You set up this, this, this premise of this big epic story and never quite accumulates. It just kind of stops, I suppose. I think, I think that was uh, one of the things. I think that um, Nowhere uh, did um, that sort of... Gene Rodenbury rule that everything had to reset at the end of the episode take greater hold than in toy advert cartoons. Um, yeah. And I, don't, I think, I mean, there is some evidence that the writers of these cartoons kind of kicked back against that in certain quarters, which we shall come on to later. But of course, uh, yeah, I mean, the famous one, which has been a nice segue here that, that didn't end was uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Where people, that's what people say now, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, they never got home, you know, you know, and it's just like that, you know. They're, they're, well, and we know why they didn't get home, don't we? It was that bloody unicorn, because every episode I saw, they were just about to get home and then something would happen to the unicorn they'd be like, oh, but, but uni, we have to save him. Oh, and then they'd, they'd jump back through the portal that would just opened and then of course they'd miss their chance. But of course, uh, the thing about Dungeons and Dragons was it did have a final episode. It was the next one to be made. It never got done. And it would have wrapped up Venger as a bad guy. He would have been disposed of completely as a bad guy. Uh, he would have been redeemed. And uh, they would have opened a portal to go home. But lots of other portals would have opened too. And Dungeon Master would have gone, well, you can go home or you could explore other worlds. And that would have left the series on that hook. Series. So if they got renewed, they went to a portal, went to a different world. Uh, if they didn't, hey, they all got home. Uh, I think they did an audio, I think they finally put the, got as many acts back as they could and did an audio version, which is on the box set. Right. Uh, wow. The other thing, I, uh, I'm sorry, this is Leo's and I'm stolen it. Sorry. <laughs> the other thing about it was they each characters, because they're kind of based loosely on the sort of character classes of Dungeons and Dragons, um, it, and of course they have a magic totem that symbolizes their connection with it. Um, so I think the, the sort of standout character when you watch it is, is the Cavalier. Yes. Uh, because he, he comes across as vain, greedy, selfish, uh, you know, only interested in his own opinions. Uh, but you get the feeling, you know, the implication is that is his shield. And underneath, he's yeah. the most cautious. He's the, you know, he's, he will do anything to defend his friends, even give up multiple chances of going home to save his friends. So it's kind of like there's, there's kind of there's this underground love for the Cavalier because, you know, he, he is, the, is the, the team's shield in some ways. Just, you know, you know, on principle, he's just kind of the elf. He's the, he's the beta male of the group. He's the one that's not the, the blonde, handsome, brave guy. He's yeah. the other guy. Um, but, yeah, there's just, when it comes to Dungeon Dragons fans... The Cavalier is is the guy. In fact, I think he had the most number of episodes 
principally about him because he's the only character that can actually go through any kind of growth. Because all the others are kind of kind of nice people already. So what what life lessons do they have to learn? So yeah, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I all I remember about it was uh, it was I had a friend who didn't have a television. It is because his parents didn't believe in television. Um, it does exist, I can assure you. Yes, television <laughs> continued to exist despite this uh, lack of faith, thus proving that TV is more awesome than God. Um, <laughs> but yes, you hear but me not he disagreeing with you there, but carry on. <laughs> he got, a, uh, he got a, a special dispensation, a, a sort of uh, a, a pass from his parents to come around my house every week and watch Dungeons and Dragons. Um, because we were particularly keen on it. I have to confess at this stage, knowing, you know, as much as I do about it, I'm not 100% sure why. Because honestly, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, uh, actual, you know, your actual Dungeons and Dragons. It's well, not really I, anything like it though, is it? I think. Well, no, yes. but, but then you see you've well. got a spin-off of, of, of the, of the, the sort of popular, uh, role-playing board game type experience, which isn't anything like it, in which a bunch of kids wander around in a fantasy kingdom doing things that aren't much like the things that people do in the board game, and then they never get home. And it, yeah, I, I, I must confess that I, I don't really understand why, why I, I was quite so into it. I think there was, I mean, in some episodes were just like any other Saturday morning cartoon. Although I think there was one or two writers, I forget the name of them, was it Reeve something? And he was noteworthy for all the episodes that you remember, he's the ones they did. And he did some far out episodes, like there was one episode where they basically go, you know what, we've had enough Avenger, let's just go kill him. And that is the plot of the story, is them beating Avenger by by tricking him into going into Tiamat's, uh, you know, domain. And then they got, got him pinned to the wall eventually, and, and Hank's ready to deliver his killer, you know, fire bolts, and finally he decides not to do it. And it's like, what? You know, you're doing episodes where He-Man goes, I've had enough of this Skirtle guy, let's just take the son of a bitch out like the dog he is. <laughs> and then they're all planning to go get him. And then beating the crap out of him. And then whipping out at the last moment. You just couldn't do that with He-Man. He's always principled. Well, yeah, but I suppose the, the, you could make the argument that there are a bunch of kids who thought that they were going on a fairground ride. So, you know. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, when you start doing, it's quite a dark storyline. You know, it's it's like, wow, okay, so you, you're all prepared to go there with that. Hmm, okay. And it, and, um, it is, and it is played for the bleakness it is. It's like, Hank, we're talking about murder here, you know. Yes, I guess so. Well, let's 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 uh, come back to the Transformers and and indeed the GoBots. Well, uh, I I received quite a few GoBots. I think that my family bought me GoBots on the basis that they were cheaper yes. than Transformers. Uh, they were cheaper than Transformers because they were smaller than Transformers, and because uh, that meant that they were. I think GoBots' big mistake was that all GoBots, the bots, were the same size, which seems logical. But then that meant that the vehicles were all the same size. So when you have the guy who turns into a motorcycle that's the same size as the submarine that the mm. guy who turns into a submarine turns into, even a child is like, uh, <laughs> well, I suppose I could bring the motorcycle closer and put the submarine <laughs> really far yeah, away. Yeah, you're being very literal with your toys, can I say. Yeah, but the, but the, were not the Transformers more built to scale, except uh, for Megatron? 
Well, yes. With the exception of Megatron. Well, in which case, you know, Soundwave was the largest cassette player, you know, ever invented. Oh, all right, then. and Soundwave. Okay, well, there we go, then. That well, you know, that generally, I suppose, yes, they were kind of to scale one another in terms of... I think, no, I mean, you know, the, the, the point of toys are you are playing with them. So if you're acting out situations... Okay, so if something's a tape recorder or a gun and it's obviously over large, you, those don't really interact with, with vehicles. But if you've got two vehicles, I think I can understand how that seeing those obviously not correlating with what they should do in real life would, would affect the, the playing of it. Yeah, because because the other thing the other thing about it was that the planes were actually a little bit bigger than the than the vehicles, so that that kind of worked out as well. Um, and yeah, I think that that did. I did. I, I'm sure that hurt the GoBots in the end. I think the GoBots. Most kids were like, mm, that doesn't really work well, for me. I think I think in, in sheer Darwinism they were outcompeted by Transformers, who had a better cartoon. Uh, someone who grew up on both. Um, and, uh, you know, I think even if you look at the Transformers, the scale, you know, between the airplane and the car isn't quite right. You know, it always struck me that the key concept is robots in disguise. They're never in disguise. Everyone knows what a Transformers Transformers. It seems to me that the guy who first invented the toy was like, I know, it looks like another ordinary toy car, but it's really a robot. Um... And I think that was that was kind of the gag, but it got lost along the way because principally they're just robots that occasionally become vehicles or weapons or devices of some sort when when necessary for movement or war or you know recording somebody because that's how you do things when you're Soundwave. <laughs> and Transformers, I first encountered, it started with like a feature length. TV movie that sets up the premise for the first series. We never got to saw the movie in its original form when it first came out. It was cut up into like seven or five minute chunks and broadcast daily uh, over the summer on like uh, Roland Rat's vehicle, you know, his his uh, summer program. So it was like every day you got a little bit of Transformer. And it was like a drip, 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 and it just kept coming back. And it's a cartoon, so every every seven or five minutes, they do indeed have a bit of a, a bit of a cliffhanger, you know. So uh, yeah, and I, I don't know what it was about it that just kind of captured my imagination, but it did. Uh, and then I think ITV had it, so you had to watch some awful programs like Mallet's Mallet, you know, <laughs> you know, waiting for your Transformer program to finally come on. I mean, maybe they'd show half of it this week. You know, so you really had to, you really had to be a, a patient son of a bitch as well. Christmas that first year when I got my first Transformer jets and my first Transformer car, murrah, I was the happiest person in the universe. Let me tell you, even though the cars my mum got me was like the one car that never featured in the TV series, uh, Skids, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know uh, the, the jet she got me was one of the was one of the three junior grade of jets that rarely appeared in the television series. You still looked out. That's one of mine. That's one of mine in the background. <laughs> um, and I suppose what's most famous about Transformers, uh, the Transformers of the movie that came out in 86. The way toy ranges go is you, you add to them over time, because at some point everyone's already bought Optimus Prime, who's going to buy Optimus Prime. What do you do then? Well, you bring up more toys. What do you do about the old toys? Well, you retire them. So we have retired toys in our TV show. Oh, simple solution. We'll just butcher them all in a war. It is, it is, it is shocking that characters you follow for the first two series of Transformers are gunned down relentlessly, remorselessly, for the first 20 minutes of the Transformers the movie. And, you know, suddenly all these new guys that have, that have, that have suddenly been there all the time, apparently, 
the new cast members suddenly move in to take over the, the vacant leadership positions and so forth. There's like only a handful of the old ones that survive. Optimus Prime is not spared. He is gunned down by Megatron. Shot and some- three times to death by Megatron. And somewhere in America when that first aired, George R. R. Martin was watching a cartoon show and went, hey, hang on. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, wow, my God. It's like Optimus Prime is dead. And after that, he became famous for the, you know, the great heroic leader that dies and then subsequently comes back because, you know, you can sell your new Optimus Prime, which looks, looks like Optimus Prime on steroids. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I kind of started falling away because the third series didn't get shown in the UK at all. The only way we could get hold of it was by getting rental videos at the video shop. So as anyone ever, the DVDs came out, I was able to track down and see the whole series. And then I think America discontinued the cartoon. Japan continued for a while. Uh, they promptly killed off Optimus Prime again. Uh, then they started killing off, like, Ultra Magnus, Soundwave. All of them were just getting relentlessly killed. And in many ways, this kind of mirrors... The comic series, which I only sort of followed a little bit, but they were brutal in the in the comic book series with character deaths. And it, it strikes me so far, it's the only franchise I know where franchise characters will bite the bullet. And unless your name's Optimus Prime, you stay dead. I mean, if you're lucky, you might get upgraded and get a new name. Bumblebee's like yeah. he's, he's a little he's a little Volkswagen, and he got upgraded. You know, he was retired as a toy, but they didn't kill the character; they kept him as Golden Bug because he gets damaged and rebuilt at one point. Um, and so unless you're happy enough to get upgraded like Megatron does, Megatron gets upgraded to Galvatron, uh, you're dead, you're out of it. And I can't think of any other series that's kind of done that. Mind you, most Toy Rangers don't last beyond one series of cartoons, so I suppose that's probably the principal reason why. But Transformers was kind of huge. Transformers the movie was like a mind-blowing, epic-length movie, as far as I was concerned. And uh, and yeah, and I, I bought Transformers far beyond the point at which I should be buying Transformers as a child. And I think I've said all I need to say at the moment. Over to you, gentlemen. Any questions? I think, one, I think you've, you've highlighted an important point. With uh, I, I feel that today, I think look, children's animations uh, made by American studios and, and, and what have you, in the 80s, fell victim to the fact that there's only so much communication, organization that you can do in a a sort of pre-digital, you know, when computers are new and you're not really sure what to use them for and there's no internet and, and, you know, people can't teleconference and blah, blah, blah. And what happens is that they organize themselves to just about pull together, you know, definitive series of live action stuff, but kids stuff. You know, it's not that anyone was particularly, you know, trying to annoy children. It's just that they didn't have enough organizational resources to pull together, you know, make sure all the children got to see all the cartoons. Um, so they didn't bother. And that's why I, I do think that, uh, you know, the experience an 80s child has of cartoon shows is, oh, we saw some of them and then the, the channel stopped showing them. And I mean, it's even worse in the UK where you had to import them. That that kind of uh, I think thing. I, I seem to recall there was basically a saturation point of cartoons, uh, and the market kind of collapsed. Uh, so that that was probably another factor that played into it. I mean, this is what makes um, I think this is what makes some people have an affection for Ulysses Thirty One. A small number of people have an affection for that. I am counted among that. The French, I think, because French cartoon uh, comic books, Bond, Dessin. They take them a kind of more seriously and a sort of casual 
way. It's weird. You you do have sort of conferences. I was in a, a French village where they had a Bond Dessine sort of uh, convention happening, but they don't do it like Americans and British people do science fiction conventions. It's all a lot more civilized in that respect. Uh, but you have enthusiasts of, of that kind of artwork and they take the cartoons the same way. It's like, well, it, it's just because it, we, you know, the artwork is a skill and the, the story is as telling is a skill. So, you know, we were going to just, you know, there it is. It's a program. It just happens to be animated. Yeah. Get over it. And, and so I think that was kind of unusual that the Ulysses 31 was my personal favorite, but there are so many people around the world who have a much more affection for a, one that isn't on the list, weirdly, because probably it's another European cartoon, The Lost Cities of Gold. Yeah, which never seemed to end, as I can remember. It was just but it always does, it does have a definitive end. It was supposed to have more series, but yes, it does have an end. It's, it's an epic thing, but yes. The, the problem with it is, and I tried to watch it, I, well, first of all, it's probably the best thing to do is to mainline the, the, the Mysterious Cities of Gold thing. This weekend, I'm sacrificing my entire weekend to watch the Mysterious right. Cities of Gold. That's the first thing that you should really do, because trying to watch it piecemeal is a little bit tedious. But the other thing about it is that at the beginning of every episode, they tell you what's about to happen in the episode. Then the episode happens. Then they have a short travelogue in live action documentary that tells you why what you've just watched is, is kind of educational. And then they tell you what's going to happen in the next episode. So if you're going to be completist about it, what will happen is that you'll, um, with the exception obviously of the first episode and presumably the last, you'll watch that, you'll watch a, a sort of a summary of the episode, then you'll watch the episode, then you'll watch a a little upcoming what's going to be in the next episode. Then you watch another summary of the thing that you've just seen. Then you watch another episode interspersed with little pieces of stock footage of people in South America uh, doing farming and stuff and, and uh, with, with uh, panpipes playing over the top of I it. I never got that, it's, really? Yes, there's, 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 at the end of every episode it says, like in the episode where they sail around... Um, the Cape at the bottom of uh, South America, they have a whole thing about the kinds of wildlife that live down there and, and you know, stuff like that. And, and they play handpipes over the top of it. And, and you see, you know, hardy native people living at the southern tip of South America. It's, it's just... So, yes, it's quite arduous because you don't just get the, the episode. In fact, if there was a Blu-ray of it, I understand you could do whizzy things with Blu-rays where you can just cut out all the extra mm. stuff and watch the story because otherwise you're spending, you know, six minutes out of every half an hour just watching recaps or documentaries, <laughs> which is nice. But <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, it's a, I mean, I really didn't have time for that show when I was a kid. When I watched it again, yeah. I really understand... I love the sort of historical aspect of it and the fact that because they were trying to deliver, you know, sort of a historically accurate children's adventure with the exception of the giant flying golden birds, which came in later on. But certainly at the beginning, it's far more like a sort of Dumas type adventure where they sail around mm. South America and they set out from Spain and, you know, there's hardships yeah. and people getting yeah, shipped. They do, they do the work back. up to finding the volcano full of aliens later on, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because... I really admire the fact that they did that slow bird thing and that the plot, it isn't like uh, sort of 
Thundercats, for example, to pluck a name out there, yeah, where it's like reset at the beginning of every episode and they do the same kinds of things. Even Dungeons and Dragons, they never really, they did a lot of motion, but they didn't go anywhere. Whereas in, the, you know, you're tracing the journey with the people in the mysterious cities of gold. You're going with them to find, you know, so it is a big grand adventure of a type that, you know, our television didn't come to do for many years. So, yeah. If, All good stuff. If, if I may opine on your observation, I think it has a lot to do with these with these French cartoons, like like Dog Tanyon had had an arc, and Cities of Gold. Uh, is I think you know they were they were programs kind of first. It was here's your entertainment for this week, and we planned out thirty episodes of this adventure for you. Uh, whereas the other things, the He Man, it was very much who controlled the series, television makers. Are you serious? No, it's Mattel, and they will tell them in this episode you are going to plug. These vehicles, this toy, you know, this this new this new character called Stink Man or whatever. We want him, <laughs> an episode all about him because you know you had your regular cast, but there was a lot of guest cast that would come in just for one episode, and hopefully it was one of the toys that you own. There was the one episode about your one character, Mechanic. I've always wanted to see the episode about <laughs> Mechanic. Yes, so I guess that is. I guess that is true. I mean, just to take a little side road into this sort of, as we we're wandering now through the land of things which are more adequately plotted, um, Battle of the Planets, which was the uh, well, renamed yeah. Gacha Man, I believe it was called in Japan, where they redubbed an anime series right. and changed <laughs> the gender of the lead car- of the lead villain. Yes, to indeed. be a man when he was really a woman, which is why he had a man who wore really pink lips. Wearing... Yes, yes. Because that had that <laughs> complete surprise when he removed his, his cowl and turned out to be a woman. Um, um, but that was that was almost yes. a little bit before my time. I was almost too young for it, so it came across to me as a very sinister well, stage. But I've got factoids about this Battle is what, Planets. Planets is what I was playing in the playground. That's what I used to yes, do. With it, my, was, it was my older brother's. Uh, um, so I'm, I was kind of very familiar with that, actually. Um, even though I'm actually, I can't really remember much about the series. I just remember running no, around. And, I do no, 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 understand out. that the US dubbing made it pretty much incomprehensible. Yes. Yeah. Also, they also added new bits to it. You know all that bits with with the robot, the robot walking around his yeah. underground base, narrating episode, all added. That was oh, wow, all okay. American version. Occasionally the characters would go down and visit him in his lab and would look completely right. different because suddenly they've been edited by Hanna-Barbera or something. Wow, okay. Or by the Japanese animators. So yes, I, I think they did kind of take the visuals and just kind of, I don't know, made up a script on the spot kind of thing almost sometimes. Right. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so thanks a lot actually, it does. <laughs> I just felt that we couldn't pass without that thing, the idea that at some point, and this just goes to show this idea that kids shows in the 80s we haven't got time to think about kids entertainment kids all if it's got bright colors in it and nice music and and people fighting one another with bright explosions nobody will care what plot is and that's literally how they thought about children's programming and then the reason why there was less of that when you got toy based animations was because they were based on toys and like you say the toy company would say well could you pimp this this week please which leads us on to the, the, the also-rans of the uh, merchandising fest that was the 80s. And I'm looking at, uh, well, Brave Star. He had some toys, yeah. didn't he? And, I always um, thought that Brave Star was kind of the success of the He-Man. Not She-Rub. She-Rub was. But it was like the guys who made He-Man then went on to do Brave Star because Brave Star was right. very much in the style of He-Man. You know, in terms of the yeah, same animation house, I think. Then there was the Centurions. They were, they were toys, weren't they? Oh, and... Uh, 
Mask and um, Iron Mask, Iron Centurions. My God, yeah. the, the, um, they, they saw me coming. My, the money my parents must have <laughs> shelled out because someone made a cartoon and made toys available for it. The and, bastards. And of course, She-Ra was a kind of also ran to He-Man and the Visionaries. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I think that. Um, now, Mask was interesting because I don't believe, I, I, I might, I stand to be proven wrong, but I certainly never saw it in the schedules, that we got the Mask cartoon. We got, we got the Mask cartoon, I can assure you. We got Mask. Oh, did we? Well, I never saw, I've never seen an episode. I, I think you'd stop watching Saturday morning children's television by this point because you were like two years advanced than me. Well, Maybe. Nah, but the thing about what I was going to say was, I had the toys. I had many of the mask toys, and I, I would have been quite happy to watch a mask cartoon. I just never saw it in the television schedules, probably because it was secreted in a Saturday morning show I didn't watch. Maybe it was on the other channel to the one that I watched, and I didn't realise that they'd... You know, this is the disadvantage of burying a cartoon in a Saturday morning television show, is that people don't know it's there. Yeah. So, yeah. Centurions were the same. They were buried on going live or something, I think. Well, I, I remember the Centurions cartoon had no interest in the toys. Remember the cartoon had no interest in the cartoon. The, the, the toys were quite interesting because it's only a principle, principally a cast of six. So it's fairly easy for someone to collect all six characters that appear in the, in the television show. They, they bilk you by buying the expansion packs that clip onto the characters you already own. Which I thought was a unique idea anyway, so you can get a sense of completeness about it. I was like, well, how many extras do you want with that? Anyway, it didn't go beyond one size. The nice thing about mask toys was uh, when you didn't know that, well, when you, you kind of thought, it's strange that this, I, that, I believe at the time I was young enough to be like, strange that this doesn't have a cartoon, but there we go, is that if you didn't have a cartoon, one, you could make up whatever you wanted because you weren't told which toys were, you could kind of guess which toys were good guys and which toys were bad guys, but you weren't told. You could do pretty much whatever you wanted. And the other thing was that therefore you didn't feel pressure, well, I have to have this one because this one goes with that one. I don't know which ones went with which other other ones. I just knew that they were toys. Also, mask toys had a, a bigger range of prices, and there were less of them. So it well, felt like an achievable goal to get more. Their mask unique toys. solution was to be smaller. Their, their action figures were quite small compared to you know your standard at Star Wars, which set, kind of set the standard for how big action figures should be. They were like half the size. Well, yeah, they were half the size because they had to fit into the honking great vehicle. Yes. Like, you know, like I had the um, helicopter that turned into a plane. Yes. I had the uh, Amer- orange American muscle car that turned into a tank. I had the little green motorcycle that turned into a gyrocopter. Obviously, I had the annoying little boy and the robot that turned into a motor scooter because that was like £1.99. So you were going <laughs> to get it just to be a completist. You know, so I had all of these toys and it was quite nice to be liberated from the need to understand why the toys were what they were or how they fit together. Oh, I also had the uh, one that turned into a boat or the boat that turned into a different type of boat because that was a a, a great thing because it would actually float in the bath. Um, So, yeah, the boat was an actual boat as opposed to me. And I think that was one of the things that was really nice about it was that they went all all out with it because you weren't really buying. The action figure was like, yeah, and also ran. And I believe that to buy the action figure without... Its little rubber mask and its um, and its vehicle was quite cheap. In fact, they may even have sold them three abreast. But to buy the vehicle, that was the expensive thing, and that was the thing you were supposed to do. Uh, but all of this cannot go uh, go past without us mentioning 
another unintended consequence of not really paying attention to what those guys down in children's programming are doing with their cartoon, which is, of course, Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light. It's, it's you one, know whereof I speak on this, Ian, do you not? I think it's one of the few series where you actually... Because the interesting characters are always the villains, because they're proactive. But Visionaries was the one series where the good guy scenes were fun to watch, because essentially they were just kind of sending up Sending themselves up as good guys in the funny. They were talking about, oh, let's arrange a jousting tournament, shall we? And talking about needing to rebuild that bridge all the time. And it's always about visionaries that caught you other than the fact that they were holograms and stuff. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't buy any visionaries toys. And in fact, I, by the time I even caught an episode of visionaries, it was a repeat and I was well into my teenage years and it was on on some Saturday morning thing. And then for some reason my ear tuned into the dialogue and I started to lean closer to the television. I went, are they serious? Is this really happening? And I thought it was the best thing ever because it was like the sort of the naked gun version of Saturday 80s kids cartoons because the the bad guys were like complaining, why do we have to be evil anyway? I'm sure I wouldn't have to walk as far if we weren't doing this evil plot. I could just go home and have a sandwich. That'd be fine. You know, and, and the good guys didn't even seem particularly good. They just seemed like idiots. And everybody was, and I'm like, really? They're doing this with it because they were trying to sell it? And I think what happened was the toy line didn't really work out and they'd already budgeted for the cartoon. So they just let a bunch of these guys whose job was to write, you know, Brave Star and He-Man and God knows what, and just go, you know what, write a cartoon for these toys. We might as well try and shift them out of the bargain bins. And the guys went, do you realise nobody's watching us? Let's just write like a send-up of all the other cartoons. And then they made it, and then it broadcast. And it's, I think it's become a sort of a cult class well it has because you could buy a dvd with all the episodes on it and it is this little cult of people who watch visionaries and snigger up their sleeve it's a joke that only people who were dedicated to he-man transformers yeah. brave star whatever would get but it is hilarious to watch a show in which none of the characters behave as they're kind of expected to so yeah i i, I mean you know that i visionaries is a a, a, a noteworthy thing for those people who who remember such things. I mean, I noticed on the list as well, we've got quite a few things that we didn't get. No. And I'm, I'm kind of not surprised. We never got Beetlejuice, uh, the TV series. I think we did, quite, get, uh, we did things, get Beetlejuice. We didn't get G.I. Joe. Not, we didn't get we Robocop. Didn't didn't get get no, we, we didn't have the toys. Or the Force of... We didn't have Rambo the Force of Freedom. Rambo. <laughs> that, that's crazy. <laughs> when I saw it, I'm like, you are joking. It's not as good as the point of the 13th cartoon series, you must admit. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, I want to talk about G.I. Joe for a minute, because I had a friend who was well into G.I. Joe. He had toys imported from America. His room was basically, you know, a bunch of posters of the G.I. Joe a magazine we did they we did get gi joe magazine like uh, comics a bunch of posters from them and then buckets buckets because the thing about it is because gi joe was kind of not really i think what it was was american parents get very uptight about gi joe because they think of it as glorifying conscription into the u.s armed forces and they don't think they should be selling that stuff to kids you know so and i think that kind of drifted across the pond or it like gi joe is kind of america's dirty little secret like we like guns and soldiers and we're ashamed of it that we even make little toys of them and, so it, and it, give them to it's kids it's almost like a cartoon you'd expect to find in a robocop universe 
Yeah. Um, well, it's called G.I. Joe, a real American hero for a start. You know, it just, yeah. So the Americans are kind of ashamed of it. And for that reason, I don't think uh, uh, British people didn't care. I mean, yes, we had Action Force and what have you. In fact, they rebranded many G.I. Joe figures as Action Force and brought them across. And when Action Force started, and indeed when G.I. Joe started, they were very much the Star Wars type of figure with the stiff arms and legs. But then someone hit on the genius idea of articulating the joints, and so they become became much better soldier-type science Yeah, but that, that rubber band type. inside them would always break eventually. Yes, yes. Perish, and then but, you would have... You would have amputee G.I. Joe. <laughs> well, you know, it's like real life. The upshot it's... of this was that many of the figures, particularly the sort of the Cobra soldiers and the more anonymous looking American style soldier type unit, ended up in our bargain basement store. So you could buy, you know, five Cobra soldiers for a pound. And I think this is kind of why this guy originally got into G.I. Joe, because his parents thought they were being canny, because they'd gone to Pound Stretcher and gone, oh, you can have these action figures, they're a bit like Star Wars figures, play with those, and and paid very little money for them. Not realising the monkey this would put upon their son's back. And by the end of it, he was having, like, helicopter gunships Uh imported from the States. And I'm like, I must have it like that. So they made it, they made a worse. If they just bought him Transformers to start off with, they could have got the you know they could have monitored it. They could have kept it under control. But That's, no, this they is had before be, the internet. How on earth do you import a toy for America before the internet? Oh my god. Oh, because they had um, friends in America. Oh, uh, right, fair enough. He went to a. They went to a. Well, because he was such a. You know, he was so demanding. They made special arrangements to have things sent in, and, and you know, uh, which gave the toys an extra mystique because there were certain GI Joe things that you could only get in America that he had. But then he had like the, the thing is to set up di- dioramas to play with these toys was like because you could buy ground units at such a cheap rate, you know. And one of them, was, which is very popular in the film recently, there's Storm Shadow, where the ninja guy, he was also 520. So you had army units completely comprised of white-clad ninjas no, with Samuel. I had six Destros. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah. It was bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah, because Destro got got relegated to being a... Anything you had multiple copies of became relegated to being a ground unit because... You know, you had loads of them, so you just made little... So, yeah, it became this, like, crazy diorama, soap opera, science fiction, because the vehicles were always a bit science fiction-y, and the weapons were always a bit science fiction-y. So, yeah, and, and then you ended up... It, it stopped being G.I. Joe, because we didn't get the cartoon. We weren't told what kind of thing G.I. Joe did. It was just oh, the name of let, the Let toy. me explain. G.I. Joe, good. Cobra, bad. Okay, we got go. That. We got... We got that much of a message, but what I'm saying is there's more to it than that. There's, like, context. If you say, uh, G.I. Joe is fighting Cobra in the Middle East, then you're going, yes, yes, okay, very good, very sort of uh, towing the political line. But when you just tell, well, the Cobra guys are the bad guys and the G.I. Joe guys are the good guys, but they're free of any context, you end up kind of playing some kind of post-apocalyptic Mad Max style because that's that's what the toys suggest because they're kind of science fiction so you end up you end up in this kind of post-apocalyptic sort of war-torn Terminator-esque battle, yeah. making your own cartoon yeah, in your head. It was your so. bedroom floor. It wasn't really a wasteland. I mean, uh, yes, I know. 
I'm somehow coming to the conclusion that these uh, toys were better off without the cartoons that told people how well, to play. I, I, I will very quickly say something about G.I. Jane. I think perhaps we should, we should give Justin a chance because he's very patiently been sitting there listening to us winner on. Uh, but uh, obviously I was more Action Force than G.I. Joe. And Action Force, it kind of... Cause there's actually a G.I. Joe game that came out, but they called it Action Force for the UK. And I was very confused that we were fighting a giant cobra because Action Force's perennial villain was the Hooded Baron, whose uh, who's combat, whose who's evil logo was a skull and crossbones. And you even had a Hooded Baron figure which had a hood you could take off. It looked a bit like Ming the Merciless underneath. But uh, yeah, so this this was my contact. We're fighting the Hooded Baron, his army of mutants and, and shadow troopers. And suddenly the Americans came along and all just disappeared and articulated figures came along. Uh, and yeah, it was suddenly all about Cobra. And I was like, oh. I, I mainly remember them because they are the sort of descendants of Action Man. In fact, even the, some of the early Action Force figures still had the distinctive Action Man scar on his cheek. Uh, and I was huge into Action Man because I inherited like eight Action Men from my brother with uniforms, guns, and accessories. So I was like, these are the best dolls ever. They could be anything. Um, so yeah, anyway, Justin, please peruse the list. Uh, what takes your eye? <laughs> can, I, can I venture into the UK? Yes, you can. Please, please. Well, I have to talk about really probably my all-time favourite cartoon, and that's Danger Mouse. I was absolutely... I just went crazy with... I was very lucky because my dad used to do the comic for it on in Looking magazine. I probably bought um, your dad's comic. And, <laughs> oh, my God. And... And he, uh, and I, and I used to be making model, I used to make models when I was younger, and I wanted to make the car. So, you know, I kind of said to my dad, look, I need some help on this. So he then, he then kind of got in touch with, with one of the, uh, one of the chief illustrators, um, and then got me, um, copies of the blueprints that they used to build the, you know, uh, that they actually gave him to help him work on the, on the comic. Of like the of the car and I mean it was amazing. Imagine me, you are this kind of like you know eleven year old, twelve year old kid is like, oh my god! So I made this to scale replica of uh, of, uh, the, the of the car. But uh, but um, um, so I was, uh, as you can tell, kind of quite mad about it. But I absolutely went crazy. And I think you know at that age, I really kind of got you know understood that humour. Uh, yeah, I think that's the the main thing about Danger Mouse. Other, other than you know he kind of looks pretty cool. It's that. It's kind of like Monty Python for kids, kind of, you know, with the narrator and this kind of, you know, it's it, it and of course, you know, the 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 talents of Dave Jason, Terry Scott, and everything else, um, kind of added to it. But I, I, and it just, you know, it was it was it seemed to be like the staple of it. it was I don't know how many episodes they made, but it seemed to be on a lot, and I was yeah, I was completely kind of mad for it. I, I think it was it was hugely popular in the UK when it was here. Yeah, and some of the episodes are so memorable. Uh, yeah, like like you know, you just don't forget giant washing machines over London. You know, no. clothes washing machines floating over London being evil. You don't forget Greenback's plan to flood the world with custard. You know, it's, <laughs> it just they stick in your mind like hey, the, and the bad luck gem that he t- that he weaponized. That's right. It was shooting bad luck around the world. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Danger Mouse, yeah. I, I was I was quite young when it first started. I think I had like it started out like as, as like a twenty minute format, and then it became a yeah. short like five minute format, and you'd have a daily five minute right. episode of Danger Mouse. Uh, and my yes, you didn't realize how lucky you were and how witty it was. I mean, yeah, they, it was. they had some 
dull episodes, but when, when they had when they had the the proper kind of ironic, satirical, uh, you know, absurdist wit that that Britain can be famous for, it was brilliant. Yeah. Of course, David Jason. What yeah. what a coup these days it would be to have David Jason yeah. voice anything in your cartoon. And yeah. Cosgrove Hall is what we're talking about. And Cosgrove Hall also did what, what must be some kind of award-winning classic series in my mind of Wind in the Willows as well. Yeah. And it, it's such a shame they're gone now, basically, because they merged with the ITV company and the ITV company divested itself of all, children, of all children's television. Essentially why it's gone. Yeah. Not because they weren't making programs anymore. Anyway, Danger Mouse. Is there anything you want to say about Danger Mouse? Anybody? I, I would love to talk about this more. Um... <laughs> I would actually. Uh, I, I never got Danger Mouse. Never got it. I never. Mm. I, I would always like see it and go, okay, there's that, and then move on. I never. I never but really. He's the greatest secret it. agent in the world. Well, <laughs> 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 then obviously the problem. Well, he can't be that great because you were glued to the set watching his exploits. He did manage to sneak right past me though, so you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good choice, Justin. Brilliant encore. Should we talk about Wind in the Willows at all? Because it, it it strikes me as yeah, I mean that it, that was a real quality production, wasn't it? I mean, it, it did look beautiful. Quality. I mean, it just you know it it looked like something you'd see on the script, the big screen. It just was kind of dripping with you know kind of charm, and you know I, I think they, that was their I think probably one of the pinnacles of their kind of animation. I think techniques coming together there. The voice cast um, was brilliant. Done quite a lot of stop frame animation um, in the past, Cosgrave Hall, and I think that's really, you know, kind of where they got to. Really, I don't think it was getting much better than that. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, it was it was visually very very striking, and also the kind of whimsy, timeless nature. Because Wind of the Willows is just one book, but they managed to extrapolate those characters, you know, the weasels yes. and Toad of Toad Hall. Uh, and, and Badger being very disapproving of Toad all the time. Like, your father would be ashamed, Toad. Yeah. Um, and, and just, just, and just how, you know, Ratty and Mole, just kind of friends. And then it's yeah. kind of like, you know, just, if it wasn't for the weasels or Toad, they would spend all their time just hanging around the fishing bank, you know, reading books, chatting, fishing, and just generally being pleasant to hang around. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was just, what a, what a pleasant little slice of childhood that is. Wind of the Willows, Leo? Uh, again? Didn't care? Uh, I watched it. That's it. That's <laughs> right. I watched it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think we go. I don't think going much with this. With Root trying to impress uh, Leo with with the uh, <laughs> Cosgrove Hall production. So. Yes. Okay. Right. No, I think. I mean, honestly, I, I think I I kind of got the idea of that kind of thing later on. But at the time, I was well into all these American. Series and if it didn't yeah. chime on that, I didn't. I didn't really go for it. If there's um, no I mean, explosions, things, not interested. Well, one of the things that I have, I can't help but notice is that, and, and I'm wondering what part this this caused frustration in in Hollywood is that we we've kind of missed out all the other kinds of times. We talked about toy tie-ins, and obviously He-Man still strides like a colossus along the end of the podcast, and that's becoming fairly soon. But we we should possibly tip a hat for a moment to all of the other things that were tied in. I mean, Marvel had uh, Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man out there. Star Wars had two cartoons, one slightly more fondly remembered than the other. 
And, and, and you know, I mean, yes, we, we laugh about Rambo, the force of freedom, but, you know, I'm wondering whether Hollywood was getting kind of desperate because obviously we've talked about all the big hitters and, and the biggest is yet to come. But what occurs to me is that all the biggest hitters were really centered around selling toys, not around these things. So you had, you well, know, they continued on after the television program. They continued on your imagination. You went and played with them by yourself, with your friends. So, yeah, you were more part of those worlds. Well, of course, of course, I think Marvel at one point got so desperate for a slice of that action that they uh, put out their toy line, Secret Wars, of which I had a few. I think their big, the the big probably disad- probable disadvantage of that toy line, or the big disadvantage that toy line had, was that it didn't have a, it had a comic that went with it, not a cartoon. They wrote the Secret Wars cartoon se- uh, comic series, and I think that that was their big thing was trying to promote a toy with a comic. And I think the only reason they didn't do a cartoon was, first of all, because the comic they came up with was just bonkers and had far too many Marvel characters in it for, you know, an animator. It would have been one of the most expensive kids' cartoons to produce in the 1980s if they'd have gone with the same plot. But then the the other part about it is I'm wondering whether they did Marvel didn't want Secret Wars, the cartoon competing with Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which was surely the most popular of the Marvel cartoons at the time, which could have been a massive mistake on their part because, of course, they they didn't get the toy money. Um, The comic money was pretty much as expected. Although, actually, no, the most money they made out of that was out of the comic. This is why we have massive Marvel comic events today, such as, um, you know, Siege plotline or the Secret Invasion plotline, because they'd never done anything like the Secret Wars crossover prior to that, and people, the comic fans, went nuts for it. You know, that did lay the groundwork for work in the comics field. Uh, Marvel's, you know, agenda changed after that point. But really, I mean, thinking of the insane amount of money that must have been spent on Masters of the Universe, Transformers, G.I. Joe, you know, all of those toy lines, you know, having better than average sales on a comic book series probably looks a bit lame next to the millions poured into the, the buying of the Optimus Prime dolls. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember the, uh, the, the kind of Spider-Man and Friends things. Actually, I saw them recently. They don't hold up very well. They don't. But, but um, uh, for me, it was like certain ages of development that the boys go through. Uh, Firestar was like my first kind of crush on a cartoon character, which implies I've had many more since. I should phrase that differently. But anyway, <laughs> I, I think it was like, the first time I go, oh, it's a female character, and I'm really interested in watching her on the television screen. Probably because of, you know, her shapely yellow tight, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she didn't. She didn't really. She didn't even really exist in the comics, though, did she? No, she no, no. She's a very minor character. Yeah, she was just in the cartoon series. But uh, I suppose they had her because you may have even been credited for the cartoon series. I think she was there as a compliment to Iceman, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Uh, just quickly going through a list. Real Ghostbusters, called Real because there was another cartoon series called Ghostbusters, was pretty huge in my little corner of the world, let me tell you. I think it was also fairly popular with kind of like, you know, the the Family Council Viewers Association. Because it's not a series about anybody fighting anybody, even though it has supernatural elements, which you think they would be against. It was kind of like, well, it's not really violent. At the end of the day, they just catch the ghosts and, and put them in a box. 
no one gets killed. No one dies. There's no explosions. Uh, there's no violence. So I think Ghostbusters was, was quite popular for that. Uh, well, I mean, well, yeah, but popular with parents doesn't mean necessarily. I mean, no, it was, it was pretty means... big with, with me and my friends, you know, definitely. Because there was a definite appetite for more Ghostbusters. And this was all. Yes, get... uh, there always was. The problem that I found was that um, that's the bit that didn't translate. The bit of. And, and nobody, not even the Ghostbusters crew and cast, have been able to bottle that lightning twice in a row. That there's a thing to the film, Ghostbusters, there's a tone, there's a, a pace, there's a, a mood, which nobody has ever been able to capture again, as far as I know. Because Ghostbusters 2 didn't, Lord knows. And and it's all downhill from there. All Ghostbusters-related properties, uh, you know, they, they just can't, they can't... Well, you would say it may not yeah. capture the original film, but the old Ghostbusters was genuinely quite big in its own little time. It, it did quite well in the ratings for a card in the series, so much so that Jim Mankozhinsky, who I think was like the script editor for it, he says, you know, we got very popular which means we attracted a lot of attention from the executives who wanted to, you know, save us because we were doing so well. And then the interference started coming down and, like, you can't do this, you can't do that. And that's when he basically walked out the show on principle. So, you know, Janine is too abrasive. She needs to be more motherly towards the group. It's like, okay, bye. Good luck for the show, everyone. Yeah, I mean, I I really, uh, yeah, I was mad on Ghostbusters, the film, and so I really wanted to like the cartoon. And I think I watched about five and I was like, this ain't working for me. So, you know, might be popular in other quarters. But, you know, then I watched Dungeons and Dragons and I wasn't really into Dungeons and Dragons. And I was big on that. So, I, yeah, I'm not sure it's the same audience all the time. It's like there are lots of different audiences who can like something from different quarters. But, yes, now, of course, we turn at last to the uh, the, the the colossus of 80s cartoons quite literally in many ways, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That was a party that will never be repeated, isn't it? No, yeah, um, I, went, I went crazy on that. I, you know, I went, I mean, I, I, after kind of Star Wars, my toy buying kind of thing had kind of died down. That's what I think it attracted, attached to. So I was, I was uh, probably, probably a little bit older than maybe other people buying it. I was just, loved being absolutely fascinated and, and by you know these giant kind of castles okay, uh, and and you just were, the just the range of figures you were was crazy. Also very attracted by the fact that each each figure came with a comic. That probably got you. Yeah, attention. that's true. That's true. Uh, it was, and I remember having. I mean, I, the, that's. I remember getting the annual and kind of sitting there looking at this annual the next year at Christmas, and literally I was like. Peering at pictures of, of, of uh, Castle Grayskull, wishing like like about five, five o'clock on Christmas morning, just going, I'm going to have this in about two hours' time. I was absolutely obsessed. <laughs> I really was. I was. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of play activity went on with uh, with those. I I went crazy with it, and more more so I think than the actual cartoon series, which I did watch, obviously um, enjoyed. But I just think that came alive to me. The, just the scale of it, I think, as well. Those figures were big. So when you had, you know, several of those out and the castle and everything else, I mean, that was, you know, it made a big impact from the toys' perspective as well as as well as the kind of show. So, and then I didn't realise how bloody camp it was. Yes. Back, I was like, this is insane. <laughs> if, if you want to see camp, 
go watch the opening to She-Ra because it is like it is like all her, her her gay male friends, and she I rides mean, around the big that. shiny multicolored unicorn. She-Ra, you're fabulous. I mean, He-Man goes from you know this muscular. Only three dog. others know my secret identity. Yes, I bet they do. A man at arms is one. I mean, it is, it's crazy. It really is. But, you know, you didn't really think about that at all at the time. No, it goes right over your head. Um, yeah. uh, yes, and uh, I was cartoon first, then toys. And I think my first, the first He-Man action figure I got was Manny Faces. He was one of the also-ran characters. And it was like, I was waiting for ages for his, his episode to come up. And when he turns up, he's just this kind of actor dude. Because his Manny Faces gimmick, because each, each He-Man figure has to have a gimmick, is he has three possible faces, a lizard, a human, or a robot. And he's just an actor. It's like, oh, I wanted some kind of, like, Jekyll and Hyde character. Like, you know, he's, he's a genuine trichotomy of a being, torn between good and evil and complete neutrality of a machine. And, like, does he work for Skeletor this week? Does he work for He-Man this week? It's like, no, he's just in one episode. He's an actor. Oh... <laughs> I think that, that well, I think that's the point. I think He-Man exemplifies um, the sort of massive corporate cynicism of they thinking they can just generate a fuss over nothing. Because at the end of the day, it has to be said the He-Man figures were big, but they weren't very good. The springs at their waists broke a lot. You could get their legs off quite easily. God, Many you, of them you dismembered your power. toys. Mine never broke. <laughs> and I was not uh, a gentle player of toys, let me assure you. Oh, I, 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 I didn't have that many. I just saw lots of kids here and, here and there who did. Yeah, they did, and you could, you could go around someone's house and see a lonely, you know, He-Man figure leg lying on the floor, <laughs> forgotten. Um, because I think, as well as which, the cartoon did do that thing. of They didn't think... Oh, we have to make sure that people feel good about the toys that they bought. And some of the stuff was ridiculous. There was a guy who turned his waist and his neck went up, and it was all yeah. like a Do robot you neck. The neck. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I remember being disappointed at the time was the fact that the Battle Cat was not articulated. I always thought that was weird. The first one, the first one I ever had, I had about, in the end, about three. Yeah. Uh, Master of the Universe toys because I think what it what genuinely was my dad didn't really believe in toys anyway and my mum was like these are terrible I think she couldn't really understand why kids would want that and she bought me the, the leech guy whose special thing when you got his character was you pressed the button his back you could stick him to a window well yeah. oh the, the, the heroes must be really scared of you you're stuck to a window it's just ah oh, so so, te- and then the th- the, what was even more insulting about that was that you could stick him to a window, but you couldn't make him eat one of the other He-Man characters because the sucker was too big and they were too bumpy with muscles. So there was no flat surface for which to, to adhere like a leech. It was just a big mess, uh, really, looking back on it. Definitely. It didn't really make much sense. Certainly some of those were definitely reaching. You had like Stink Man, he was like a skunk or whatever it was. He just, just smelt terrible. Um, and yeah, some of them were bad, but some of them like Lockjaw, he had, he had, he had a robot arm you could change the ending of. So you had a hook or a gun or something else, some other stabbing implement. Yeah, I liked him. Yes. I think uh, the problem is that the expanded gallery of lame characters started to eclipse the yes. very small number of worthwhile ones. 
So if you had your big He-Man gallery, it's like there were 10 figures which were like, yeah, these guys are awesome. And then you had 50 guys like, these guys are all lame for various reasons. Let me show you around my gallery of lame. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. What happened was, He-Man rose, He-Man fell. Probably the lowest point was that canon movie with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, dear. Really didn't work out. And that was it. That was the end of He-Man. Until recently, when they've been... And I'm like, why are you trying to bring He-Man back? For for crying out loud, he's called He-Man. That should tell you something. Where did they even get that name from? Because like, uh, because Conan was copyrighted. Yeah, Conan was copyrighted, and and calling him super buff might have been a step too far. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, just it didn't really. I mean, one of the things that I might like stand to be corrected on this as well. The last time I'm going to stand to be corrected. Did He Man ever have a video game? He must have done. Uh, he must I don't remember. And this exactly is the point. This is how you can tell that He-Man flashed in the pan. Is the fact that, you know, he was a flash, had a video. I'm sure you. Yeah, he's typing, I'm typing now as well, you leave. Um, yes. <laughs> E.T. had a video game I, I think, as think... much as it ended up in landfill. But He-Man, I mean, if he had one, we've all forgotten it. That's how forgettable the He-Man video game. I think, I think game. The, the He-Man film lost me the second it, that the writers thought, "Let's go to Earth." I, th- I think that kind of yeah. popped the bubble for me. It was like, no, no. Well, the whole point of it was, unless I heard this recently, so it's fresh in my mind. They made He-Man the first one. They wanted it to be on Earth because they had some money, but not enough to. to oh yeah, big, budget saving. Yeah. We can't. We can't afford so falling quarries. They were. Absolutely, a hundred percent certain that people would flock to see He-Man and Master of the Universe. So certain were they that they built all of the Eternia sets for He-Man Two. Wow! And then it shouldn't have used them in, in, in He-Man One, really, isn't it? Would have been well, no, useful, wouldn't it? They were building the sets while the first one was in production, so they could. If they, they they didn't want to delay because Canon were running out of money, they were in financial difficulty. He Man was going to be the great white whale that saved Canon. As it from was, going it was back. a great white elephant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so they quickly made this thing with Earth, and they wanted it to be, you know, and then they would all go off to return you in the second one. And they were so confident that they were going to get this sequel and it was all going to be great that they built all these sets and then it was a massive flop. And someone at Canon went, well, with all these kind of fantasy sets from a E-Man movie we never made and we've got this three-movie contract with, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And hence Cyborg was born. Oh, wow. That's why the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg exists because he basically what Canon did was they said – they signed exclusivity deals with their main men, who were Chuck Norris. Uh, Sylvester Stallone had a, a deal with them for a bit, and um, Charles Bronson and Van Damme came into that fold. So the three, and they did three picture deals where they were like, "You're not allowed to work anywhere else." But the sweetener on the pot is you get complete creative control. So Stallone used that creative control to make Over the Top, an arm wrestling movie, and Cobra. A terrible, terrible cop <laughs> thriller. Um, and uh, Chuck Norris obviously made the movies he made. Charles Bronson made Death Wish movies. And Jean-Claude Van Damme made Kickboxer, Bloodsport, and Cyborg. 
And the reason he made Cyborg was because they sidled up to him and went, how about a bit of sci-fi fantasy action, eh, Jean-Claude? We've got all these sets, which uh, uh, for a project that didn't work out. Hmm. Hmm. I yeah, so there I, we go. I, so that was that's that, that is how Cyborg came to be, and I, that that kind of and that's how people moved on from He-Man. They yeah. got Jean-Claude Van Damme instead. Uh, I I can't find a contemporary He-Man game, but it was the very early eighties. When it comes to consoles, all I can think of is you had the Spectrum out, your Commodore, your Atari home console two thousand six hundred. I mean, technically, it could have if it was going to be a game at all, it would have to be an arcade game. I'm not sure. No, 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 no. There was a Thundercats game. Thundercats was years later. We were probably established home consoles and computers. Oh, now. right. Okay. Well, then, yeah, well, that's. Well, you bit. Okay. As I point out, Atari 2600, E.T. had a video game. Yes, but, you know, <laughs> famously, that, that almost killed off Atari, you know? Yeah, but. I'm just saying. Uh, so yeah, that is a bit weird. Well, that's, that you that's, never that's, that's a Spielberg film, though. You know, this is this is a cartoon on Saturday mornings. And the, the, which one made more money? I'm guessing that E-Man toys made more money than the movie. Well, uh, has... people don't talk about that, but the toy industry is huge. Oh yeah, well, He-Man is He-Man is first and foremost it's a toy, and it was the it was the first time this was done. And I think these days we look at it quite cynically. At the time, we we're like, "Cheers, mate, that's a great idea." But uh, yeah, I, I own quite a lot of essentially the same doll recolored several times. The, yes. most, the most cheapest <laughs> one I've seen yet is the Faker, and the Faker is like a blue version of He-Man with that's orange right. hair, who's supposed to be a robot replica of He-Man. You can see Skeletor's plan right there. He's going to discredit him with his robot double. Pun fact, he's as blue as a Smurf. Who's going to fall yeah, for this? People can't Skeletor tell the difference between Adam do? and He-Man at the moment. They're going to fall what for the Skeletor, faker, are they? What Skeletor was going to do, you see, is bathe Eternia in uh, ultraviolet light, so nobody right. could tell. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, when he switched on his massive ultraviolet uh, satellite, He-Man's teeth were so dazzling that uh, <laughs> it blinded Skeletor. And that was a great episode, anyway. Uh, so if you know about a uh, Masters of the Universe video game that Ian has been unable to Google during the episode, where might they come and tell us where to find such a thing, Ian? Well, one place you can go to tell us what a rubbish disguise it was that Adam, Prince of Eternia, you know, was also He-Man, and the fact he went through <laughs> no physical changes whatsoever during the transformation, other than taking off his pink T-shirt. Well, you could go to our Facebook page. You can find it on Facebook. It's forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids, and that's 80s as a number, so it's 80S. Uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting to future He-Man video games, which we are sure to discover. And, uh, yes, we often have discussions there as well. It's our hub. Please go there. Please like us. Please like us. But, of course, it's podcasts are what it's all about, and you can find our current podcasts on the Podomatic page. That's 80s Kids as in letters. So that's E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids.podomatic. Com. Please go there and please subscribe to us using the podcast aggregator of your choice. You will then get your weekly dose of 80s kids. Um, however, we do have uh, many of our older shows on archive and they are kept... Where were they kept again, Leo? Well, currently they're kept at leostableford.com, although over the upcoming festive season they may even transport themselves to a location all their own. Watch this space for further details. Uh, but yes, currently, leostableford.com. I'm also writing, um, well, I'm writing a novel this month, but 
In the meanwhile, there is a fairy tale serial running at bridgetowntales.blogspot.com, which uh, has literally like five or six episodes left before it's all done. So hurry, hurry, hurry and read all the rest so that you can enjoy the thrilling conclusion. And some near the beginning are illustrated by... Uh, that'll be me. Uh, you can find examples of that on my Deviant Art page, Justin White. What you can't find is my He-Man-inspired drawings I did when I was 12 of very dubious muscular men, of which I keep <laughs> hidden in a vault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it He-Man and Skeletor wrestling again on the, on the, in, in Castle Grayskull? What's all that about? Yeah, no more about it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, my God. But for now, we must come up with a pithy moral message to send the children at home away with, and then all laugh in a fake manner as the uh, credits roll. Okay, uh, so, um, uh, don't walk backwards, you'll bang your head. Yes, hugs are better than drugs, kids. Uh, Justin? <laughs> Please don't draw drawings of He-Man when you're young so that they might be used against you in evidence. <laughs> 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 Incidental music, Hero Down, was composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Autobots, transform and roll out.